Hey, everybody. My name is Greg Refner, host of the Abstract Podcast, and I am here today with Amy, founder and CEO of Avenue Talent Partners and a contributor to pretty much every important sales group in the B2B world. Amy, would love for you to introduce yourself. Hello, hello. Thank you, Greg, for having me. My name is Amy Volus, and I am the founder and CEO of a company called Avenue Talent Partners. We concentrate on helping varying stages of startups build out enterprise sales teams, and then hire the right uh, leaders and executive leaders for sales, customer success, and sales ops slash enablement. So that's our area of expertise. I have a 20 plus year uh, sales career myself where I have sold over $100 million in revenue that was um, equally uh, spent between selling products and services, startups, and big companies. And um, yeah, I started my company to fix the broken bits and pieces when it comes to getting something as important as sales hiring right the first time around. So that's my jam. Thank you. Thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. It's our pleasure. It's um, being in sales myself. It's um, having gone through a couple hiring interview processes broken, I think is an understatement in a lot of ways. So we appreciate your efforts. Um, getting into the start of your career, I think it's always interesting how people got into technology. And um, typically when I'm talking to people about their background, it's how they got into tech sales, um, but you're in technology recruiting, but your degrees in criminal justice and police science. Um, that could, I think there's other ways the world could benefit from your knowledge, especially in today's day and age. But uh, how did you end up in recruiting when that's when you went to school? Well, that's what you went to school for. Yeah. So um, I always thought I wanted to be James Bond when I grew up. Sweet. I was real excited this weekend because there was a marathon on the IFC channel. My husband's literally like, you own every James Bond movie and you're sitting here watching this with commercials. What is your problem? Or <laughs> what it is? Like, I'll get sucked in and I'm there. So um, I quickly realized that being a secret agent and international spy was so not me. I love to talk. I love my relationships. I um, am not interested in the things that it would take to do that. And so while well, I'm fascinated by that and uh, very much captivated, I was an English minor and I really didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I think a lot of people feel that way. And so my first role was in recruiting, tech recruiting, which is like, so not me. I don't speak that language at all. And uh, fast forward to 2001 and 9-11 happened and I'd worked, this is before like the word startup was really a thing. Uh-huh. It was called dot-coms. Like we were working for dot-coms and there was a dot-com bubble and then it burst. And I had gone through that and I loved the company and had survived a bunch of layoffs. And ultimately they sat me down and they said, here's the thing, there's nothing to recruit for. And if you want to stay here, you got to sell. And so I've always been in enterprise sales. I was thrown into that. I then um, have always been in and around the recruiting talent acquisition HR tech landscape, selling products and services to that community. And I got bitten by the sales bug and I've never turned back. And so it's funny because while I own a sales recruiting firm, I tell everybody, I don't identify with that. I identify with being a practitioner of sales. I've been a sales leader as well. I care deeply about our community. I love startups. I'm a builder by trade. This is my second venture. 
And when I know all the bits and pieces that are broken through all of my experience of my own mishaps, of hearing about others every single day, of knowing that regardless of the year or the technology, that the number one goal is how do I find the right people to come work here and then keep them? These are these are problems. These are things that are top of mind for many companies. And they've always been problems that I've wanted to solve. And so I identify with that, that side of things in terms of fixing what I deem to be broken inside of a community that I care a whole lot about versus just being another recruiter to try to like throw a bunch of spaghetti against the wall and make money off of that. So you're going to see, I'll probably cringe if you call me a recruiter and no offense to the good recruiters out there, love you, need more of you in the ecosystem. Um, but I identify more with the things that we just talked about. So ironically enough, there you go. Got it. Okay. Well, a couple, couple things I want to pull back on that. So first off, um, we have Daniel Craig, Sean Connery, Pierce Brosnan, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, George Lazenby, David Niven, and Barry Nelson. Who is your favorite Bond actor? Oh, please. Does this mean that you are a fellow Bond aficionado? If you can rail those up, or did you do a Wikipedia search real quick and find all of them? So in high school, I actually had this goal to be James Bond myself. Um, and I was known as the guy in high school that could rattle off every single James Bond actor and movie to date. Um, so that was kind of like my my shtick when I was trying to go out and land like my homecoming dates and stuff. Um, but anyways, that's a different story. So which is your favorite actor? So it's a tie. So I'm very, very sad about the recent passing of my boy, Sean Connery, that was a yep. sad moment for me. I was heartbroken because like Goldfinger, come on. Yeah. Um, and then my boy, Daniel Craig, I, okay. I was heartbroken when he was like, I'm done, but he wasn't done because the next movie was supposed to get released in April. And then it got pushed, which I'm heartbroken. I'm like, where is it? And that was going to come in November and it's still not here. I'm like, I need it in my life. It'll bring me joy. So yeah. it's a, and not that the other bonds aren't good, but those are my two faves. Like it's a total tie between modern bond and the Renaissance, the Renaissance, the Renaissance man, excuse me, bond, um, Sean Connery. What about you? You know, I have to go with Sean Connery. Uh, my mom has a, not a secret crush, but, uh, my, my dad, and my mom have been married like almost 50 years. And, um, the one person my mom loves more than my dad is Sean Connery. So I heard about Sean Connery my entire childhood. And so I feel like it was just kind of ingrained in me that if I want my mom to love me, that Sean Connery needs to be my favorite James Bond. So probably hard as well. Cause you know, he's no longer with us. I, I have to ask you, and I know this has nothing to do with your podcast, but I'm super geeked out about it. And I'm sure this will get edited out. What's your favorite Bond movie? So it's uh, it's definitely Goldfinger only because of the video game um, on Nintendo 64. And <laughs> I could play that game all day, every day. Um, if I was given one game to play the rest of my life, it'd be Goldfinger. And uh, I just think that, um, you know, every part of that game, I can relate back to the movie. And I think that's just kind of stuck in me as to, as to why Goldfinger's my, my favorite. It's a good one. It's definitely yeah. the top. So. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe you can add that to like an interview question list in the, in the future. Like, can you name all the James Bond characters or something like that? Or if they don't and, know what James Bond is, you automatically don't get the job with me. How about that? Gone, <laughs> gone, done, DQ'd. All right. So um, on your website, you have 
the definition of avenue, right? A way of approaching a problem, making progress towards something. Um, we've all been faced with new challenges here in the past year. And I think one of the, the ways that I wanna spend time with talking to you today is kind of what, what's the, the problem that we're facing in recruiting today? Um, as I've gone out and I've hired a couple of reps, you know, in office experience is something that I used to look for, like what was your working environment, things like that. So I want to really talk about that and the way you're approaching, and I know you hate the word recruiting, but uh, maybe finding talent um, in the world that we find ourselves in today. So um, first question I have for you that I love well, your feet. Context, Greg, I give you permission for that. Just calling me a recruiter is the thing that'll, that'll make me cringe. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, I was trying to avoid using the word recruiter for the next, you know, 15, 20 minutes if I could. I um, love it. We'll see. Thank you. You can use the word. It's okay. <laughs> okay. All right. I appreciate it. So as you're going out talking with organizations, um, are you finding that companies are embracing this remote first strategy? Um, or do you feel like people are itching to bring people back to the office? Um, I saw yesterday, I think Drift announced a digital first approach. Um, so I'm curious kind of what you're hearing out in, the, out in the markets in terms of what companies are thinking the future of work looks like. Yeah, I think that there's so much hype. Um, and I think that's part of the problem of a lot of things, uh, not just what we're talking about in terms of the future of what work will look like and what we're gonna see this year, but also with recruiting, also with sales. Somebody says something and it's a, a sexy company like Drift, for example, and no shade to Drift. I love Drift. I use Drift for my own company. Um, but just because Drift does it and that's good for them doesn't mean it's good for everybody else. And so I'm really encouraging people to do some independent thinking. Um, and I, I won't go off on that tangent, but I think we're going to see a blend. So let's go back to 2020, which isn't so far off of where we are today in 2021. And let's look at what happened last year. So here we are, we're all going along, minding our own business, doing our own thing, and then March hits. And the world in which we all knew it and what that looked like completely changed. You had some companies that immediately could pivot, right? They've already had people that were re working remote. They were set up for this. It was turnkey. You had people that really, really struggled, really struggled and perhaps didn't even survive. Yeah. Then you have other companies that sort of went kicking and screaming and then got into the groove because they had no other choice and realized, well, we can do this. So that settles in. The back half of 2020, people start realizing perhaps remote isn't the be all and end all for our business or this particular team or this particular part of our business. And that's okay. And so I think what we're, so it's kind of like, do you remember when everybody went to the open office concept? Cause that's what you do. And then yep. there were all these studies that came out that were like, it's a horrible idea. <laughs> it's not <laughs> going to promote collaboration. If you walk on the floor, everybody has earphones on and they're not listening and um, it's distracting and you know, all of the things. And so it's funny how you have these big sweeping statements like remote only, and that's what it's going to be. Here's what I think we're going to see. We're going to see a blend. I think we're going to see a big resurge of like the WeWorks of the world because it's going to be about meeting our employees where they are versus where we want to force them to be. And so Love some it. people really care about working with other people. 
Some people like me, I've worked remote for 12 years. My company was set up from a remote perspective. I didn't miss a beat when it came to that, right? And then you have some companies that crave being in the office together and there's nothing wrong with that. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people, especially in New York, you're just starting out you're sharing an apartment that's the size of a postage stamp with four other people. And now you're working from home and you went there because you wanted to make your way and you wanted to meet people and your work environment was a big part of that. Those people are not wrong. Doesn't mean that they're not gonna have an office to go to. It means that it's gonna look a little different and that's yeah. okay. So I think we're gonna see this blended approach. I like that. I like that big sweeping statements definitely are kind of flash in the pan ideas, right? And I, I remember the first time I was in an open office environment, I, I was miserable because I'm sitting there head down, like trying to block my microphone from all the ambient noise. And my boss is like, why aren't you collaborating with all these other people? I'm like, because it's so loud here. There's no space to talk. Um, so yeah, great example. And I, I definitely, I agree the kind of embracing that flexibility um, is going to be key for, for any organization moving forward in the future. Um, kind of segueing into that, Amy, you guys focus on enterprise reps that close enterprise deals. Kind of that's your bread and butter, that enterprise world. Um, and so most not, of the enterprise. So it's not just that. It's also leaders as well. Okay. Sorry. Leaders as well, including that. So I've known some enterprise reps in, in my time in sales, and they've all been given a certain amount of flexibility in their remote kind of work environment. And, um, you know, those same reps that had to go to San Francisco, had to go to LA, that had to go to New York on a regular basis, they're now at home closing those seven-figure deals over Zoom calls. You know, do you see a reason why any rep would ever have to be based in geo again, given the fact that we've kind of proved inside sales can still lead to massive enterprise deals? Um, I don't know if we've, if we've proven that. Okay. I think if you look at true enterprise, those deals can take 18 to 24 plus months, depending and there is something when you're in the meat of a really strategic, complex deal with a lot of different people, um, there are meetings that need to be had. Is that the be all end all? Is that the first foot that you lead with? No. And do I think that we have proven to ourselves that when we thought that we could just hop, skip, jump on a plane and all would be well, that that was, that that was the thing? I think that we've proven that that's not always the thing, but right. I, I, I will argue inside sales is not enterprise sales all day, every day. Do I think that we have proven that um, the road warrior model isn't what it looks like or what we assumed it to be? Yeah. And guess what? We're in the world of it's the digital age and things change and um, it's technology being able to help us, but it doesn't replace us. And so I think depending on the scenario in some certain circumstances, yeah, people are closing deals and that's great. But I've also talked to a lot of companies that are like, for example, one of my clients last year, we're going to hire three people. We hired two and that was a stretch. 
because all of their deals were getting pushed because all the decision makers were really uncomfortable because they couldn't meet because they didn't have confidence because, 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 and they're waiting for 2021. So again, I don't want to make these big statements because there's always going to be things. And I think that's the thing about sales that people get wrong. What you do in inside, what you do in field, what you do in channel, what you do in high velocity, high transactional um, selling, whether that's inside or outside, I mean, whatever it is, it has its own nuance. And so yeah. when I think about enterprise sales, I'm not thinking about like high velocity mid-market. I'm thinking about enterprise. And I think about a deal, my uncle and I've been talking about it for months. He's been working on it forever. Um, it's with a global company, it's a global deal. It's almost a billion dollars. Wow. And uh, just the spreadsheet that they're managing to corral this whole thing has a thousand tabs. <laughs> so it's like, you know, and if I'm doing a deal here in the US and then it spans to um, the European markets, to the Asian markets, to, you know, like it's like a global play. He's like, this is killing us. We can't go and meet. So I know I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent there, Greg, but I'm, I'm being intentional about that tangent because I want people to think about the different use cases. I, I, I would be really irresponsible if I just agreed to your statement because it's not always the case. Certainly in some cases, yeah, and that's a good thing, but not, it's not going to be the gold standard. That's fair. You make, a, you make a great point, Amy, that you know this has only been really going on for nine months. And so enterprise sales cycles are much longer than that in most cases. And so- yeah, I think it, it is irresponsible of me to think that we've proven enterprise sales can be remote because we haven't even recognized the full sales cycle yet in a lot of deals. So that's a that's a great point. Valid point. Thank you for uh, putting me back in my place. I appreciate it. <clears throat> You're all day for that. This is fun. You know, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. <laughs> so speaking of New York, you had an um, example of New York. Uh, when companies that are based out of San Francisco, New York, and, and you're negotiating with these clients to find talent, I've heard so many stories of, um, well, we're not paying them New York wages if they live in Nebraska. Um, we're not paying them San Francisco wages if they live uh, in New Mexico. Um, are you seeing that that's being received pretty well by the market, or is there some friction that that's creating, or what's kind of... What are you seeing in the market when it comes to paying based upon kind of where the company's headquartered versus where the rep's located? Yeah, I think that those are horrible assumptions that many companies make uh, without understanding what they're doing. And I will go toe to toe with anybody that wants to say that nonsense to me. Great. If you want to hire a B or a C player, cool. You can save a few bucks. Please do that. Yeah. And, and really, in my mind, it's about understanding where the other person's coming from. And perhaps you can hire somebody in Montana and perhaps you can save 30%. And that's good. As long as the person is doing the work that you need them to do and that they will be successful to thrive in that role, cool. That said, making these blanket statements of like, well, now what we've learned in COVID is remote and we can hire anybody anywhere and that's gonna help us save money a plus talent is always going to require A plus pay, always. 
if I'm good at what I do and I have created a life for myself to be able to work from wherever I am, let's say I'm at the Tetons, which is where I'd love to be right now. Um, <laughs> let's say I'm there and the cost of, well, Jackson, Wyoming isn't exactly like if you're in Jackson Hole, it's not exactly cheap. But it's not cheap, no. Let's say you're on the fringe where it is a little cheaper, right? Doesn't mean that I'm not good at what I do, that I don't command top dollar. Maybe my cost of living is more than what you think it is. Like it's about the work that needs to be done and paying fair market value for that. And the thing that I share with my clients when they go down this, this train uh, track with me is to say, guess what? You can think whatever you want to think. The market's going to speak the loudest. What's the market telling you? I just had this conversation with a COO and a CRO. They're looking to hire an enterprise salesperson. They're like, well, we promoted a person that used to be an ex-hockey player. And then in addition to that, we have a teacher that we hired and they're thriving and we've saved 50% in what we'd pay a regular enterprise seller. And so our model is to go replicate that. And I said, how's that working for you? And they're like, well, that's why we're calling you is it's not working. And I said, and I'm not a miracle worker where I have a cloning machine and all of a sudden it's like, hey, ex-hockey players and teachers, let's just pump you out and you're going to be great. Um, and their business is suffering for it. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's the fact that I think when people don't know what they're doing in the hiring process and they make some of these assumptions and then they get burned by it or they see it work once and that's the like be all and end all, pay attention to your market, pay attention to your buyer, pay attention to what your business is truly doing and hire for the work and be yeah. prepared. You know, there's that whole adage of you pay for what you get. It's like the companies that we're going to see this happen for sure in, in this year. And it's already starting to happen. All you have to do is go to Navigator, set up a search and see who's moving. If you were able to keep your people because they were scared about losing their job in 2021 because they saw, or excuse me, 2020, because they saw a bunch of other people lose their job and those people have stuck around and you're like, oh, guess what? I know a company that did this. We're only going to make the sales team take a cut and everybody else will be okay because we still need engineering to do what engineering is doing or everyone's going to take a pay cut and now the business has bounced back and they haven't bounced back off of that or whatever the behavior was that didn't feel so good and went over like yeah. a lead balloon, yeah. you're going to lose those people. Yep. And so yeah. you pay for what you get. And honestly, if I'm really good at what I'm doing and maybe I took a move for that assumption and now a company comes my way and it's the work that I want to be doing and it's 30% increase because they see what I'm able to do and they're meeting with me where I am. Chances are I'm going to make that move. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, you know, if you're, if you're an A plus rep, consistent quota obtainment, market experience, whatever that might be, right? you've kind of earned the right to go, hey, I want to go work from um, my example would be Telluride, Colorado, which is probably just as expensive as Jackson Hole. But, you know, if I want to go work from Telluride, like I should be afforded that right because I'm going to deliver to you because I've proven I can deliver to you. And just because I want to go work someplace else doesn't mean I should take less pay. So it almost puts the power in the the hands of, of the talent and, and the sales reps because good reps, they can go anywhere, right? If you're a good sales rep, you don't ever have a hard time finding a job. Um, companies have a hard time finding good sales reps. And so I think uh, the power might be 
it'd be cool to see that shift a little bit. Well, and there's more, there's more bad salespeople um, and there are bad companies. And so when you perpetuate that, that's a real big problem because you have, you know, it's funny, there's a fellow, uh, a colleague in, of mine and myself, we were talking about this recently and this, this particular person hadn't been able to keep a job for any more than six to nine months and like every six to nine months churning. And I know this person and I'm like, you can't keep doing this. It's going to, it's going to hurt you. It's going to catch yep. up to you. And this person was like, you know, I'm, I'm the top performer everywhere I go. This is enterprise sales too. I'm like, there's no way you can be the top performer in every job in six to nine months. If it's true enterprise sales, don't, you're not talking to somebody that's dense here. So let's cut this out. And of course, now this is a person that now works for themselves to be a consultant. But what I find to be particularly, particularly interesting about this is the companies that he was moving to, right? And all this friction, they were never the cherry rolls. They were always the companies that didn't know any better that would maybe throw some cash or whatever the case may be, but then it was bad and then the churn happens. And so when you get caught up into that hamster wheel, the very best of the best companies that do treat their employees well, that do pay well, that do have opportunities, that do support, that do you know, lift up and all of the things, you don't get considered because they know what good looks like and they take care of good. And so good begets good, bad begets bad. You have to choose wisely. And what's the story that you wanna tell when all is said and done? And I, I do believe employers, and seekers, they take a backseat approach to something that is so important. It's my life. It's my job. It's where I spend more than 50% of my time every single day. And yet I treat it like I'm window shopping for a pair of shoes. Like it's ridiculous. And then the same thing on the employer side, these people, they're not just assets. They're not just widgets. They're not just things that are only going to serve you. You have to serve them. It's a two-way street always. And for the companies that don't realize this and are like, you work for me, you have a problem. It's called turnover. It's yep. called you probably have a whole host of other problems if I really got in and peeled back the layers. But I don't understand where it's like, I'm going to take a backseat approach to this. We're just going to get some butts and seats. Let's just get some resumes. I'm going to look for those top performers that went to the president's club. I could say that I did a lot of things. And if you don't know how to confirm it or deny it, then you've got a bunch of people coming, you've got unrealistic expectations and now you're churning. And so that's the same thing as like people don't take the time to be intentional about something that's so important. You can't do a business without the people. The bots have not taken over. You can't do your career without opportunities. The bots haven't taken over that. And so I really am outspoken on this because I see so many people get in the way of themselves. And the good news is it doesn't have to be that way. And yet yeah. here we are. And so you clearly struck a chord with me. I'm not going to go any further into that, but that's how I feel about that, Greg. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I appreciate it. That's uh, that's all right. That's why we jumped on this because I wanted that that honest feedback, and you know, I want people to hear. I want people to hear that um, sales reps aren't just an ex, you know uh, uh, a line in Excel spreadsheet, right? You have to invest in them. Um, if you you know you, your whole business is driven by <clears throat> meeting these sales targets, like why are you not taking a very proactive, intentional approach to finding the people to hit those sales targets? It's always kind of fascinated me um, how that how that is, uh, 
happening sometimes. So you have a different perspective, Amy, and I think it lends a lot of credibility to your success in the, um, to use the dirty word, recruiting world. Um, and so one of my old CEOs I used to work for was telling me about an Amazon study and that they did on the success of their hiring. And the result of that success was basically that uh, they would have as, just as much luck um, hitting a balloon while throwing a dart blindfolded than they would in selecting the right candidate. Um, so about a 10% chance of hiring the right person at Amazon when they did this study a couple of years ago. Avenue Talent Partners has a much higher success rate than that. Um, I'd love to know, and you don't have to give us all your secret sauce, but you know, what do you, how do you think differently? What do you do differently that really kind of mends the two pieces of the puzzle together, the employer and the, and the seeker to match that really that kind of that match made in heaven where everybody's happy. What are you guys doing differently? Uh, I'm actually taking the time to understand. I mean, it's, it's not really that sexy. It's not like I wrote a piece of code and now I have a platform and here we go. Um, I remember that people are still the thing, right? It's this thing that made me really successful in my sales career. You can't do this without people. My business, my client's business, the seeker's business, like we're still, like I said, the bots haven't taken over. And um, when you take the time to not assume and you take the time to listen, like truly listen, I'm not talking about listen to respond. So like interviews will go this way. Like here are my 10 behavioral based questions. And I have to ask all these questions and you're not even listening really like you're just ticking off boxes. Like, great. That sounds cool. Next, next, next. One question can answer a hundred questions. If you're approaching it in a thoughtful and collaborative and open way. And I'm here for that all day long. And so for me, it's really about a discovery driven approach all the way around the table, my sales career, which I'm still I'm a business owner and, and I still sell. So my hundred million figure is counting and going up, which is great. Um, it's in my clients uh, business and understanding the fact that this isn't a one size fits all. And that is where recruiting, sales recruiting in particular, because it's not like hiring an engineer. An engineer is a very sort of linear and thought process. And you can do an exercise and that exercise will show you all the things that you need to see Sales, lots of gray area, lots of different flavors, lots of different ways to get to the finish line. And if I'm highly technical and I've never been in sales myself and I don't speak the language fluently, how in the world do I know? And the answer is you don't. And it takes a strong, very self-aware organization or group of people or executive to raise their hand and say, this is bigger than me. And so for me, I have 20 plus years of a really successful career. I grew up in the school of having to do every single one of the jobs myself. I am a big advocate of full cycle. Um, I'm grateful that I came from that. It's made me a better seller. It's made me a better entrepreneur. It made me stronger for my relationships, like all of those things. And so when I think about that, right, not just taking a job description that was ripped off of somebody else's website because it looked cool and I'm being lazy and saying, this is what we're hiring for at face value. It's to peel back the layers. It's to understand the whys, the what's, the hows, the if this, then that, are we thinking about this? 
And then conversely, on the other side, the exact same thing with the candidate. And so what you'll find is people in the recruiting space, both internal and external, many, not all, there are lovely recruiters out there that do not make me cringe for the record, but many, um, not all, only look at the hand that feeds them, meaning the client pays my bills or I represent the employer and that's it. And so I'll understand that to a certain degree. I've never done sales perhaps. So, okay, this sounds cool. And then I'll go and I'll regurgitate that out into the market without really understanding the context. And then I'm just pitching. And we all know in sales, when you just pitch, how does that work out for the long haul? Not so well. Yeah. And so then when I go out to the candidates and I'm just pitching them, You've got a lot of things that fall short there and you don't know what's important to the candidate. And then guess what happens? All this nonsense that doesn't happen on my watch of, well, I I can't take this job now because I have 10 other jobs. Well, you never even found out what was going on with the person. Don't be upset. You didn't earn the right to have that trust with them for them to tell you in the first place. So it's for me, it's back to the basics of the foundation of these are people Ultimately, people want to be heard and understood. And I'm not listening to respond or to put out my own agenda. I'm listening to understand. Seek to understand, then be understood, right? Kind of uh, age-old wisdom. So wrapping up here, final thing I want to really kind of hopefully leave our listeners with is uh, for our candidates out there who are looking for who are, are intentional with their search and they're trying to um, find that place to call home that recognizes their value. Um, one of the things that I've been asked a couple of times is, you know, I've always been successful in an office. I'm getting passed up and people are rejecting me because I can't prove that I can be successful in a remote environment. Um, what advice would you have for these people? Maybe they can communicate it in some type of like resume or some type of messaging, but how do you communicate that I'm a self-driven, intrinsically motivated, organized person that can work from home when my resume says, or my experience says, hey, I've been in an office for the past 10 years. Like what, what, what advice would you have to candidates trying to uh, find ways to stand out and show that um, they can handle that, that change in environment? I don't think it really matters. Like remote, so remote or not remote, it's black or it's white. You either love it or you hate it. I have yet to meet somebody that's in between. I'm a remote gal. I mean, I, I was like you where I would go visit the corporate office and I would plan to not do anything because I couldn't have strategic client calls because the gong would be ringing, people would be screaming, people would be swearing. Like, I can't do that. So um, that's me. Not everybody's like me, right? And so I don't think, so I think first and foremost, you got to get right with self. And really ask yourself, are you equipped? And if you're not, and you can do it in the short term, look for companies that are craving going back into the, into the office, different, different topic than what you asked me, but it's the story that we tell. And a resume is merely an invitation for a conversation. That's it. And so showing up to throw up all the things, because you want to assume that they want to hear this and they want to do that. What is magnetic to open a door are outcomes and being really specific and very clear about your role in that story to deliver those outcomes. And most people that I meet cannot speak to themselves 
in a very clear and crisp manner. I just talked about this on LinkedIn recently about thinking about yourself as a Super Bowl commercial. You have a very short amount of time to pack a big punch. And for all the questions that I outlined, have two to three power statements that you can speak to the how, the where, the what, the outcome, the what did you learn? How does it make them get better? Whether it's remote or not, remember people take action on the sales side or on the hiring side for three reasons. And on the hiring side, there's a couple more to consider. How do you help me get better? How do you help me reach a goal? How do you help me solve a problem? Me and my buyers. And by the way, the extra caveat to that is how are you gonna be to work with? Are you gonna be a jackal? If you are not interested. And so if you notice, I'm not talking about anything that has to do with remote, Greg. I'm talking about the work and connecting those dots. Because if I'm approaching a company, first and foremost, do not apply to a job online. Your chances of getting through the ATS system are very, very small. Um, somebody just shared a stat with me that if you go through the ATS or you apply online, you have less than a 2% chance of being called. I don't want those odds. So you have to go create your own destiny like you would in sales of treating it like a pipeline that you create. And it's about the right work with the right people consistently. So if you're thinking about that and to be helpful to anybody to answer your question, think about your outcomes. Weave that story. Do your homework on the opportunity to read the job description and the must-haves if these are the must-haves, who gives a rip whether you work from home or you don't work from home? If you can do 10 of the things out of the 12 things that they just outlined in the bullets, and you can look at those two to three power statements for those things, and you use that as your way of being in the backdrop of the conversation, and you reach out to somebody thoughtfully and you say, see where you've been showing up, see what you're talking about. Those are things that I've dealt with firsthand and are really interesting to me for the problems that I like to solve for the company I work with, for the business that I do. See how I'm approaching it instead of being like, I want a job, hiring, how do I interview? Who do you know? What? It's a conversation where my friend Sam McKenna says this all the time, show me, you know me. And if you do that work and you show up for yourself, you can tell your story, you know what you've done, you know how you can do it, you know how you can help me, you've done the homework on me, you know where I'm hanging out, you know what my business is going through. And by the way, this stuff doesn't take hours and hours and hours and hours. Yeah. And especially if you're clustering it, like if you know that there's an industry that you're excited about, those industries tend to go through the same things, right? So you think about it that way, these are problems that are really interesting to me. This is why this industry is compelling to me. This is how I had success in this other industry or in this other thing over here, and here's how the dots connect, make it easy for them to understand. And then you're having a conversation about the work and why you're compelling about the work. And then you figure out the logistics later. Why start with the logic? It's like when people are like, I need to make a million dollars a year, yes or no. You haven't earned the right to let me know that you're worth a million dollars, yes or no yet. Yeah. And you're shooting yourself in the foot. Valid. I love it. I love it. I hope that uh, you're as a direct and intentional with your words to uh, your employers and your candidates when you're asking them for, when they're asking for feedback. I love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> good. I would hope so. This is how it is. Um, and it's not for everybody and that's okay. But it, what's not okay is when you keep getting it wrong 
and you're living Einstein's definition of insanity and you yeah. come to you say, I want something different. And then you refuse to change. I don't have time for that. And, and somebody yeah. else will, you know, all the other recruiters that just want to take your order and go and give you a button, a seat. Awesome. That's great. There's something for everybody. I'm the gal that wants to change the game and show people you can be wildly successful without cutting some of these corners to get it right. So that you don't have a seven figure misfire problem that you're trying to fix later. That's my whole reason for being not everybody's like me and that's okay. Yeah. And it is seven figures, right? There's so much research out there that shows what the cost of a mishire is, especially in sales. So yeah, absolutely. Well, coming up on time here, Amy, I want to recap some takeaways. Um, so biggest thing for me, and it's actually kind of three bullet points combined into one is kind of flexibility and um, flexibility in location, flexibility in your talent, flexibility and compensation, um, kind of all around just employers and seekers just need to be more flexible. I think, you know, kind of the future is still out in terms of whether, you know, at, especially at the enterprise level, whether or not a remote um, integrated kind of strategy is, is going to work. So just be flexible, right? Let's kind of see what the future brings. Um, people are still the thing. I love that. Um, that's what you said. We're going to, we're going to use that. People are still the thing, right? This is all about people. And um, the final one is just be intentional and thoughtful for me is as a job seeker and as an employer, it's a good reminder for me when I'm writing out my next job description, which I need to write this afternoon. Like, don't just go and copy and paste. I've, I'm guilty of that. I've done that before. Like, Ooh, what's an SDR job description on LinkedIn. I'm going to copy and paste some of these things in here. Um, and it's not intentional. It wasn't thoughtful. And I, I can say that uh, it probably wasn't aligned with what I really wanted that job to actually do for me. So those are my big takeaways. Um, I really appreciate your time today. For anybody who's wanting to get a hold of you and, and maybe work with you, what's the best way to get a hold of you, Amy? There's a few different ways. So first way is um, I live out loud, as you know, Greg, on LinkedIn. I think I'm the only Amy Bullis there. So unless somebody has impersonated me, uh, there's me there. Uh, the Avenue Talent Partners website. So it's avenuetalentpartners.com. And then every single week, I have an AMA with a fellow sales leader named Scott Lease. And we do this thing called Thursday Night Sales where we're, we show up for two to three hours. And it is open conversation. And it's driven by the questions that people ask us. And we go into these details of talking about some of the topics that we've talked about among so many others. So those are the ways that um, are easy to find me and, and continue to have conversation with me if people want to. Cool. Well, I hope uh, some people are excited about your views on things. I know I am. And so again, thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure, Amy. And um, let's kick ass this year in 2021. You're welcome. And thank you for the invite. Uh, loved the conversation and loved finding a fellow bond. Yeah. Like, right on. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I love it. Well, thanks, Amy. Enjoy the rest of your day. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye.